Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. So let's continue um, in our series um, from this day forward. Uh, which is a series on marriage that we've been hitting. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, we're going old school this morning. For some reason, the PowerPoint's not working. And so uh, you guys actually have to pay attention and look at your Bibles. Uh, if you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand, and we'll have an usher get you one right fast. Um, if, if you don't, if you've got the whole thing memorized, good for you. And, um, and so if you need a Bible, keep your hand in the air they'll get, until somebody gets you a Bible. Uh, but we've been going through this, this series is about five commitments that you can make to fail-proof your marriage. Five commitments to fail-proof your marriage. And we have been uh, talking, the first one was, say it with me, never give up. Never, okay, that was weak. Say it again. I'm sorry, that was not the first one. The first one was seek God. Thank you, seek God. The second one was we're going to learn to fight fair. There you go. We're going to have fun. Today we're going to stay pure. And next week we're going to hit never, ever give up. All right, so... Um, I want to emphasize that when it comes to those, you know, five commitments to fail-proof your marriage, the, the key word there is commitment, uh, that when, when you make a commitment to something, <coughs> it is all about putting that thing into action. So you can say those five things over and over and over. You can talk about those things with your spouse over and over and over. But if you don't actually make some life changes to, to implement those commitments, put them into action, to actually make them commitments uh, instead of just nice thoughts, then it, it's, it's, a, it's a waste of time. The last thing I want is for us to get you know, three, four months down the road, and you guys have all been excited about this uh, series and, and enjoying it and everything else, but nothing changed in your relationships, and you are just, you know, it was just a series to tickle your ears for a few weeks. That's the last thing we want. We want life change to come out. We want marriage change, marriage prep change to come out of, out of this series. And so take these commitments that we've been talking about. If you missed any of the weeks, go back and listen to the podcast online. But take these commitments and really put them to, to heart, apply them to your lives. Uh, your marriages are, are far too important uh, for you not to. And so anyway, we're going to continue on today with this uh, commitment to stay pure, to stay pure. So let me, let me kind of sit on that for just a little bit. Actually, let me read a verse first. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 4, says this. <coughs> let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Okay? I want to sit on this for just, a, for just a second before we get started and talk about something that has been a trend over the last, say, 10 or 15 years, um, where there's a term in the Bible that, uh, that sometimes is, is translated as uh, sexually immoral, and, and then other times um, uh, in different places in the Bible, it's translated, the word is fornication. Fornication. And, um, and over the last 10 or 15 years, there's been a strong effort amongst uh, some Christians to change that word. And now the historical meaning of that word has been uh, fornication is plain and simple sex outside of marriage. Okay, sex that you have not within the context of marriage. Okay, now if if you're married and you're having sex outside of your marriage, then that's what we call adultery. Um, but the, the fornication is just kind of a broader term, sex outside of marriage. 
And that's a sin, okay? Now, there's, a, there's been a lot of attempt, like I said, over the last 10 or 15 years to kind of change that term into meaning, well, that the Bible is not really talking about all sex out, outside of marriage, that it, what it's talking about <clears throat> is um, any kind of frivolous sex, like a one-night stand or, um, you know, like um, if you, but if you're in a committed relationship with someone, then that's, that's okay. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Now, I have multiple problems with that definition. The first being this, that for thousands of years, the 2,000 years of Christianity and a couple thousand years of biblical history before that, for thousands of years, the definition of that word has been crystal clear until the last 10 or 15. And I think it's, it takes a lot of kind of uh, audacity to assume that you can take a word that has been crystal clear for thousands of years and suddenly change the meaning of it on a whim. Um, it's, it, the, the, when the Bible talks about this, it, it's talking about sex outside of marriage. So when we talk about purity uh, that's, and, and sexual purity in, in particular, that's the definition that we're, that we're shooting for, that, that God designed sex. We talked about this last week. <coughs> God designed sex um, masterfully. It, it, it made it amazing. He, it was his gift to us. It's something to be enjoyed and loved and participated in as often as you possibly can within the context of, of, of a marriage. And, and that is the key. Now, now, before you think, okay, here we go, it's a big old judgy sermon. That's not, that's not where we're going. This phrase behind me that says, Living Hope Church, no perfect people allowed, still applies. Still applies. We fully recognize that everybody comes into this room with different past, with different baggage and backgrounds and, and you know, mistakes and victories and everything else. And, 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 and we are not looking to build a church full of perfect people because there's this, it's, it's a myth. It's a unicorn. It doesn't exist, right? I'm sorry to break that to you. Oh, by the way, I got to tell this story. Jamie, <laughs> she didn't know I was going to tell this. Jamie, like it was about a week and a half ago, was talking about, you know, things that aren't real and uh, said something, and, and Isla and Meadow were in the room and said something about, um, you know, kind of like a unicorn. Isla broke down in tears because she didn't know there was no unicorns, like, like, like was totally devastated, and Jamie did that, and that is awesome. So, okay, um, so, like, I, I'm usually the one that devastates our kids, but it was her this time, so that was good. Anyway, so, so, but it is, it is like that, that there isn't, there's no perfect person, there's no perfect church, and we're not trying to make you perfect, we're not trying to, uh, you know, tell you you got to have everything all figured out before you can be a Christian or be one of us or anything like that, that's not, that's not the point at all, that's fine that you have your mistakes, it's fine that you have your baggage, that's, that, that's, that's part of the human condition, it's part of who all of us are. But you got to know this, is that when you enter into a relationship with Christ, you enter into a process with him that for the rest of your life, he is working to perfect you. He is working to make you more like him. And so you entering into a relationship with Christ does not mean you have to be perfect. It means you have to submit to him, and he's going to start working out the rough edges on you and your heart. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing, actually. Now, sometimes when he begins to work on our lives, um, it's, it's, it can be somewhat enjoyable. Sometimes, you know, you go through changes that you're celebrating. You're like, oh, yeah, you know, I really feel like God brought me from here to there, and, and it's a good thing. I'm so happy. Other times, he works out some really hard places of your life, and you, you can't even be happy about it for a while because it was so painful for you to go through, right? And that's, but that's all, part, that's all part of the thing. And so 
There, you can sit here if you want to. If this is you, you can sit here kind of in your stubborn thinking, thinking, you know, that's closed-minded, that's whatever. You know, I, I feel like, you know, my way, my definition of, of what's right and wrong is better. But one, one, one of the best verses in the Bible is, is such a great verse. And if you take this and apply it to your heart, it'll be life-changing. And it says this, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the way leads to what? Death. You may think your way is best. You may think that your way seems right. You may think that the way of our culture often seems right. But oftentimes that way leads to death. And I want to challenge you to be a people, like we talked about a few weeks ago in the DNA series, that will say, the Bible's the final authority for my life. And I'm going to follow God's way and not my own way. And why? Because God's ways are life-giving. God's ways are life-giving. And he wants to uh, help us avoid that way that leads to death, the way that leads to death. So this morning, we're going to talk about purity in marriage. And we're talking about it in terms of, uh, this is, uh, the way I think of it is this. We're, first of all, we're going to talk about single marital purity. And then we're going to talk about married marital purity. Because I think that, sing, uh, that marital purity begins before the wedding day. I think it begins when you're still a single person trying to live your life, trying to figure things out, and you can begin making decisions um, before you're married, even, even when you're you know, a, a teenager or whatever, you can begin making decisions in your life that will help ensure that your, as that verse, verse we just read said, that your marriage bed is undefiled when you get to it, that, when, that, that you have purity in your relationship when you finally get there. And, and so first of all, we're going to talk about single uh, marital purity, and it's this Psalm 119. I love the Psalms. Psalm 119, <clears throat> verses 9 through 11, says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man keep his way pure? Good question. Here's the answer. By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How can you keep your way pure, single people, young people? By storing up God's word in your heart. By be committed, as we talked about earlier, by, by committing your life to seeking after him, by seeking him first, and then all these other things that you desire will be added unto you. But by seeking God, by, by praying, by getting into his word, by not only getting into his word, but having that word take root. I've, been, I've watched some of you over the last several, several months and years uh, especially some of you younger people that, you know, you st- when I first met you, you were, you were, you were I'm just going to say you were messed up. You were all jacked up. And, and, uh, and, and you, you had some weird thinking and you were making some weird mistakes. And, and, uh, and I was constantly hearing weird stories about the predicaments you were finding yourself in and, and all that kind of stuff. And then I've seen transformation over the last several months and, and many months that has taken place in your lives. And, and when, now when I come and, and I, or when I see you and when I start talking to you, uh, or, or I hear you telling me stories about how um, the word has just taken root in your life and you're spouting scripture, man, you're quoting it. You're like, man, I did this and this and this and I had this altercation and then this verse came in my head and I remember this and, and it's just like it, it's taking root in your lives and it's making a huge difference and that is awesome. And when that word takes root in your life and you find yourself in a situation where you're tempted towards impurity instead of purity, um, that word will rise up in your life, and it will 
help to keep you on the right track. Now, there's a certain element of will that you need as well, where occasionally the temptation is so strong, you have to be, you just have to be a person of a strong will who will say, I want to be faithful to God and not just to my feelings or my hormones or whatever else. And so, so you, you, you make those kind of decisions. It's kind of like uh, somebody explained it to me, and you probably heard it explained the same way before. It's like we have two dogs living inside of us, and, and we have like a good dog and a bad dog, right? And the, the, the dog that, that is the most prevalent, the side of you that is the most prevalent is, gonna, is the one that you feed the most. It's the one that you feed the most. So if you're constantly feeding that kind of uh, dark side or, or, or um, you know, sinful side of you, then that's going to be the most prevalent voice in your head. If you're constantly feeding that, that side of you that is, is, uh, is thinking towards the things of God, then that's going to be the most prevalent voice in your head. And so you have to make that choice and you have to make it early on, early on. So let's talk single marital purity. A couple of tips for you, okay? And by the way, these, these apply to married people as well. First one is this. you got to bounce your eyes. Everybody say it with me. Bounce your eyes. All right. Say it with conviction. Bounce your eyes. All right. So when I talk about bounce your eyes, this is what I mean. That you are occasionally going to run across, guys, uh, an extremely beautiful, might I even say extremely sexy woman. Uh, Ladies, you're going to occasionally stumble across a big old piece of beefcake walking down the sidewalk. (laughs) And, and, and see that and, and, and that now you can't, now when you become a Christian, you can't just make a decision that it's not okay for people to be attractive. You can't, you can't just do that. You can't just be like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I, we need to outlaw beautiful people. That's, you, you're just not going to be able to do that. And as a guy, uh, I'm going to speak from the perspective of a guy because that's what I know. But as a guy, when you, um, when you account, encounter somebody that is attractive, uh, you have a choice. Now, you can't unsee what you've seen. You can't unsee it. You can't, there's, there's no erase. You know, it's not Harry Potter. We can't do that sort of thing, right? And so you, you can't unsee it, so you have a choice. You can bounce your eyes away from what you see, or you can linger on it and allow yourself to lust. And ladies, I shouldn't call you it. I'm sorry. Um, and so we, we make that Ladies, you have the exact same choice. When you see a guy that's very attractive that, you know, he's got the six-pack on top of the six-pack and the, you know, that sort of thing, um, the, and, and, and that whole thing, then you have a choice. You can bounce your eyes or you can allow yourself to linger on him or her in lust. Um, and it's a big choice. It's a big choice. Again, I, like I said, you can't unsee it. God made beautiful people. Praise God. Amen? Amen? Like, like when God, I'm just going to say it, God made women, bravo God. Bravo God. He did awesome, 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 awesome. And, 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 and I'm so thankful for beautiful, for beautiful women. I'm thank, I mean, they're all beautiful. They're, they're all amazing. And, and I, I'm so thankful that God did that. And so you have to make a choice that, you know, when you see that beautiful creation that God made, I'm going to bounce my eyes. I'm going to say a quick prayer. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. And, and I'm, going to go, I'm going to go on my way. I'm not going to linger. I'm not going to lust. You know, if you find yourself, you're that guy that uh, is driving down the road and it's relatively common for you to like change the path of the direction that you were going to chase after somebody you just saw, uh, you know, you might need to start bouncing your eyes a little bit more. Ladies, the same thing. And, uh, and, 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 and it, you have to, you know, anyway, you just have to do it. Bounce your eyes, bounce your eyes. Okay, so second thing is this. You need to say it with me, discipline your mind. <laughs> discipline your mind. 
All right, and this is what I mean. It's kind of what I was talking about earlier with, with the two dogs. You have to get to the point to where your mind is not constantly filled with filthy, unhealthy thoughts. Now, I can remember as a young man, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it's only slightly better as an old man. As a young man, I can remember my head was just filled with dirty thoughts all the time, like all the time. Like, I can, I can remember a day when that wasn't the case, like when I had relatively pure thinking, and then you start getting around some friends who are, you know, have, you know, dirty, th- dirty thoughts, dirty jokes and stuff all the time, and, 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 and then I began to think in that same way to where it was hard to not think, and you guys know what I'm talking about? It's like hard to not think in that way. Like, you allow yourself to talk and think in a filthy way so much and so often that it's almost hard. Like, I know, because some of you have even told me, I have innocently said things in my sermons that you guys are all, you know, that doing that with, and you're making dirty thoughts out of the word of God. Stop it. It's ugly. Don't do that. And, and, and I'm just saying, it's, you, you, have to, you have to get to yourself, uh, yourself to a place to where you start you just say, I'm going to discipline my mind. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that girl. I don't want to be that person that is constantly seeing the dirty and filthy in everything in life. And we're all guilty of it at one time or another or whatever. And I'm not saying, again, you don't have to be perfect. I'm just saying, try to discipline your mind. Try to think on those things that are going to build up that good side of your nature so that that is your default instead of the filthy side of your nature. Because the other thing, too, is that when you have an undisciplined mind, you start to see the opposite sex. You start to see other people as objects instead of people. And what an ugly way to live your life. What an ugly way to live your life. That those are sons and daughters of God that you are objectifying, and, uh, and it ought not to be so, and it especially ought not to be so from somebody who calls themselves a son and daughter of God. It ought not to be so. So... Discipline your mind. Again, that goes for you two married guys. Third one is this. I'm going to commit, I want to date with personal and spiritual integrity. I'm going to date with personal and spiritual integrity. Now, I know in, in some Christian circles, it's, it's kind of become popular. You know, there's like the whole uh, kiss dating goodbye movement and, you know, like, like you shouldn't date and, and uh, whatever and um, and I'm not going to argue that. I'm just going to deal with the reality of our culture. We live in a dating culture. If you want to make a decision not to date, that, that's a perfectly fine, great, wholesome decision, and I applaud you for it. I'm just dealing with this morning the reality of the culture that most of us live in, which is a dating culture, okay? And um, when you date as a child of God, as a, as a Christ follower, I want you to make the decision that I'm going to date with personal integrity and spiritual integrity. What I mean by personal integrity is I'm, when I date someone, I'm going to date them in a way that shows my integrity, that I'm going to deal with them honestly, that I'm not going to treat them like an object or a conquest, that I'm going to enter into a relationship with them to get to know them and uh, get to know them better and to explore if whether or not we have a future together or not. I'm not going to treat them like another notch on my bedpost or on my belt or whatever else, but I'm going to uh, date them with personal integrity. That means you have standards for yourself. That means before you start dating that person, you have standards that are already set up, lines you know that you will not cross and you stick to those lines. There are things that you will and won't say to that person. There are ways you will and won't treat that person. I'm not going to, you got to get out of it. I talked to the teens several weeks ago (coughs) and um, I I held up a a, a steak, like a a nice juicy steak raw as as God meant it to be. And um, 
And I held it up and I said, what's this? And they were like, it's, it's a piece of meat, right? And I said, yes. And I said, does it belong in here? We were up on the stage. I said, does it belong in here? And they said, no. And I was like, why doesn't it belong in here? And they weren't really getting what I was saying. I said, the reason this does not belong here in the youth group is because this youth group is not a meat market. It's not a meat market. I'll say the thing, thing, same thing about this room. I'll say the same thing, uh, Christ followers, about the way that you live your life. You've got to take yourself out of the meat market. You've got to take yourself out of that situation where you're just hoping to meet the, you know, Mr. Right Now, Mrs. Right Now, and, and, and have a little fun because a lot of times those fun situations with people that you barely know don't go well and create opportunities for mistakes that, that will last and that you, that you end up regretting. You need to date with integrity. Integrity. You need to date with integrity of faith as well. Now, I'm going to say some things that some of you are going to disagree with, and, um, but I, I believe I have the Bible on my side, so... All right, so here we go. All right. <laughs> um, if you're a Christ follower, you need to be dating other Christ followers. If you're a Christ follower, you need to be dating other Christ followers. When you don't, when you choose to enter into a romantic relationship with somebody who does not follow Christ, Christ followers, um, the Bible puts it this way, that believers ought not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, we don't use that word yoked very much, anymore. It was referring to the a long piece of wood, the yoke that was placed over two, the back of two ox cows, kind of oxen. And uh, that would, they'd pull the, the uh, plow with that. And so that, that thing that tied those two oxen together was called the yoke. Okay. And it says believers ought not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. In other words, when you get into a relationship with a with another person, it should be somebody who is like-minded with you about matters of faith. Someone who's like-minded, maybe not identical, but like-minded, like-minded. That it should be someone that you're seeking out that will help, that you can build up spiritually and that will build you up spiritually. Somebody that you will enter into potentially a lifelong commitment with that, um, that you see things eye to eye at least spiritually, at least spiritually. It is, it is critical. It is important for you to do that. Now, am I saying you can't have a happy relationship and be married, you know, if you're a believer, be, be, be married to an unbeliever? No, I'm not saying that at all. I see, I see people in happy relationships all the time, but every one of those people will also testify to the fact that there's something missing there, that there's something, one of the most important things in their life they don't have in common with their spouse, and it breaks their heart. It breaks their heart, and, and occasionally, some of them will say that it causes major conflict in their lives. And so you need to be aware of that. So I'm going to date with spiritual integrity. I'm going to make sure that the people I enter into a relationship with are people that I would actually consider to be uh, potential spouses. Now, some of you teens are saying, well, you know, I'm just a teenager. I have fun. We go through dates, you know, like underwear. And um, that's probably a poor analogy, but it's the one that came to mind. And so... Um, Anyway, so that, you, you may, that may be, you may think it doesn't really matter because you're just a teenager and, and you're, it's, not, it's a relationship that's not going to last very long anyway. Raise a show of hands. How many high school sweethearts are in the room? Any? There's, there's a couple. There were three or four couples first. There's another couple. Yeah, it can, it can matter. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. But I'm just saying the relationship that you think won't matter very potentially will. Very potentially will. And so you need to be prepared for that. 
I'm going to date with personal and spiritual uh, integrity. All right, let's read another verse here. Proverbs 5. We're going to go on to marital, married marital purity, okay? This is such a great verse. Proverbs 5, 15 through 20. He says this, drink water from your own cistern, not sister, cistern, okay? Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the street, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Drink water from your own cistern. Married people, that when you enter into a uh, till death do us part relationship with someone, you enter into a marriage with someone, uh, that your eyes and your body are for them and them alone for, until death do you part. Until death you part. And we need to be a people that will take that commitment seriously. And when we don't, there are obvious repercussions. You may think, well, you know, this, you know we live in, in a, a different culture that's more open and everything else. This is actually pretty widely accepted by most of our culture. People who don't accept the idea that married people should be faithful to each other are kind of out on the fringe. That's, uh, that's not typical, even outside of Christianity. And we need to be people who will be faithful. And, and like we talked about last week, <coughs> you have to get this in your head. There is an enemy at your door that is actively seeking to destroy your marriage, actively seeking to destroy your marriage. And you have got to make that real in your life. There is an enemy that is constantly looking for a path into your marriage to get between you and your spouse all the time, all the time. And knowing that, you have got to make some decisions to protect your marriage, to guard it fiercely. I guard my marriage fiercely, fiercely, I guard it. Jamie is the most important relationship in my life outside of my relationship with Jesus. None other, not my relationship with my kids, not my relationship with you all, not my relationship with anybody is more important in my life than my relationship with Jamie. And I guard that relationship seriously. And if you want to see your marriage survive, if you want to see your marriage not go through an adultery and go through some of those big mistakes. You have to get very, very real with one fact. And I am, I, I am very real in my own life with this one fact. And that is, it is completely within me to commit adultery. And you might think, well, it's not within me. But how many people have you seen in your life? How many couples have you seen break apart in your life and one of them committed adultery, and in your mind you were thinking, I can't believe that happened. He or she was the last person I would have ever expected to make that mistake. And somebody someday could be thinking the exact same thing about you. You have to come to grips with the fact that that mistake is within me if I, unless I do something about it unless I do something. So me personally knowing that that mistake is within me, I make some commitments to, to God and to my wife to help prevent that. 
Because, why? Because Jamie is the most important treasure I have. None other. None other. It's, it's no different. If you were to win the lottery, <coughs> the $600 million lottery, right? First of all, you're going to tithe on that money. And, and, then, and then, but second of all, you're going to take that money and you are going to, you're going to put it somewhere. Do not win $600 million and stuff it in your pillowcase, please. Don't do that. That is dumb. Extremely, extremely dumb. You're going to take that money, you're going to put it somewhere safe where people can't get to it, where thieves can't get to it. You're going to do everything you can to protect it. Why? It's a big treasure. The same is true of your marriage. If you are treating your marriage lightly and just hoping it works out okay and not taking measures to protect it, you should be, guys, guys be fierce about it. Ladies, be fierce about it. Not only am I going to set up kind of uh, safe, safeguards in my, in my marriage, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm fierce about it. I'm just going to tell you, if I, if I catch one of you guys, you know, making an advance on my wife, your pastor's spending the night in jail tonight. <laughs> I'm fierce about that. I don't, I don't play around with it at all, at all. And, and you need to be fierce about it too. That's your bride. That's your groom. Don't let somebody take them. Don't let somebody, don't let the enemy get in and steal that from you. Just don't. Just don't. So married couples. <laughs> Make these commitments. First of all, you're going to flee temptation. Say it with me. Flee temptation. <coughs> flee temptation. Now, flee. Now, you're going to make a choice when it comes to temptation. You can't avoid temptation. It happens. But when temptation comes, you have a choice. Am I going to flee that temptation or am I going to flirt with that temptation? Am I going to kind of linger around that temptation? You know, some of you, you meet a, um, you know, or you kind of become friends. Say, guys say you become friends with a, a lady at work or girls, you do the same thing with a guy at work, whatever it is. And, and, and you, you kind of develop a friendship with them. And then suddenly at home, you know, your wife uh, is, is, you know, your wife is on your back and things aren't going well. It's just, you know, you're, it's just things are rough and rocky at home. It's like, it's like you, you get to a point, point where you almost dread going home. But you know what? Every time I go to work, old girl is happy to see me. She, she has the biggest smile on her face every day for me. She has an ear to listen to me. It's because she doesn't have to live with you, you big jerk. She doesn't have to live with you. She's going to do the same thing once, one day when she has to live with you. The grass is not greener, guys. It's just grass. It's not greener, gals. It's just grass. It, it, if you don't deal with the root problems in your life, you will carry those problems no matter who you're with. No matter who you're with. And so you start developing a friendship with this other person at work, and then things are rocky at home, and you begin to talk to them about kind of personal things about things that are going on at home, and they have an ear, and they have an advice, and they have all this kind of stuff for you, and, 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 and you're like, wow, this person is great. Before long, you're, you're developing this, this thing where anything can happen. You're going to flee, flee temptation. Flee. They may not know what the word flee means. Flee. It's what people do when they see Godzilla, right? They flee. They run. The best fleeing story in the Bible is Joseph in, in the book of Genesis. Joseph is a, is a slave in a, in a powerful man in Egypt's home and, uh, named Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife uh, has eyes for Joseph and begins to make advances on Joseph. And Joseph kind of rebuts her and rebuts her. And, and, uh, and then one day she gets really aggressive. She grabs Joseph by the clothes, by the cloak that he's wearing. And, and, and Joseph's response is classic. 
Joseph did not look at Potiphar's wife and say, with, with her, you know, she's got his hands on his clothes. He did not look at her and say, hey, hey, you know, whoa, whoa we need to slow down. We need to talk about this. We, we, you, know, you know, this isn't right. And, oh, you know, he didn't try to reason with her. The Bible says he ran away, and he ran away so hard he left his clothes in her hands. That's some fleeing. That's some serious fleeing. Now, now, let me tell you, let me give you some guidance. If you're in that situation, bring your clothes with you. Okay, please, please bring your clothes with you. It will go bad for you if you don't. It went really, Joseph ended up going over to, going to prison over leaving his clothes behind. Okay, so bring your clothes with you. He did good, it, just a small kind of almost fatal error there. He grabbed your clothes on the way out the door. Okay, so, um, but you need to be fleeing from that temptation, not flirting with it. Fleeing. Second thing, married people, you need to do, you need to develop some safeguards. Embrace some safeguards in your marriage. And what this looks like is occasionally at different points throughout your marriage, especially in the beginning and then at different points later, you sit down with your spouse and you have some conversation and you develop some ground rules for your marriage. Some ground rules for your marriage where you decide. Now, some of you already hate the word rules and you hate the idea. I'm not going to let some man control me. I'm not going to let some lady control me, whatever it is. I'm not going to do that. And, and you're a fool and I'll see you in divorce court someday. But right now, you need to get real about the fact that you having guidelines and some safeguards in your marriage is extreme wisdom that you need to be embracing. When Jamie and I first got married, we had we brought it we both brought in a ton of baggage into the marriage. We had we were having some major trust issues. We sat down with each other and we said, "Okay, here's the deal. My number one priority is proving to you that you can trust me." We both were saying that to each other. And so we set up a rule in our early on in our marriage that we would not be alone with the opposite sex to the best of our ability ever. And we worked jobs where occasionally we needed to have a lunch meeting or something with the opposite sex, and that sort of thing kind of happened. And, 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 but this was our rule. If that happens, if a, if a meeting has to take place, Jamie would call me, say, I'm, I'm having lunch with so-and-so. Do you want to join us? And either I could or I couldn't. And if I, and if I couldn't, I at least know she loved me enough that she was, she was being transparent. And I knew exactly where she was and what she, what she was doing. Now, that was not me stalking her, keeping tabs on her, anything like that. That was her just showing me love. And I showed her the same love too. Why? Because our number one priority was putting our egos aside, putting our pride aside, and proving to each other that, yes, I'm the guy you can trust. Yes, I'm the woman that you can trust. And we carried that rule with us through most, almost all of our marriage. It's still kind of in play in some effect today in our marriage. Most of you know, I don't do a lot of counseling one-on-one with, with women. I just don't. I'm blessed that Jamie uh, feels called to some degree of counseling. She loves doing it. She's very effective at it. And, uh, and, and so she does a lot of the... Now, I don't force that on her. I've told her she doesn't have to, she, but she feels a calling that she wants to do that. But I'm blessed that she takes a lot of that from me and does most of it herself. If there's a situation where I need to do some counseling with a woman in the church, uh, she's either there with me or, again... She knows exactly where I am and, and, and what, what the situation is. Total transparency. Not because um, she's keeping her thumb on me. Not because I'm doing that to her. It's an act of love. It's an act of love. Some of you have a hard time with this. Some of you, your, your husband or your wife asks, where have you been? And you immediately get defensive. You immediately put up this, this wall and like, who do you think you are? You don't have to know where I've been all the time. I'm going to tell you, you're a fool. You're a fool. Now, if you're that spouse that is constantly nagging at your spouse and, you know, 
looking through all their records and looking at all, you know, stop it. That's foolish. Stop it. But as, as one spouse to another, I would say, take the initiative yourself to let your spouse know, hey, this is what's going on. This is where I am. I love you. Just checking in with you. What an act of love to do that. What a selfless thing for you to kind of put your ego aside and say, no, it's not about, it's not about you keeping tabs on me. It's just I love you enough to let you know. I love you enough to let you know. Set up, safe, set up safeguards when it comes to pornography. Put some software on your computers, on your phones, on whatever it is you got that, that will help you stay accountable. There's stuff out there, accountability software that uh, I use some stuff. Um, X3 Watch is what it's called. And it doesn't keep you from going to any site. It just, if you go to a weird site, it's going to send a report to your accountability partners through email. So my wife is one and another friend of mine is one. And so if, if, I ever, if it, they ever get flagged on anything, there's a conversation come, that, that we have. And I explain, okay, that sounds bad, but it wasn't bad. This is what it really was, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, or whatever, but at least there's accountability there, okay? And we have those conversations. I'm saying don't leave this stuff to chance. Guard your marriage fiercely. Guard it fiercely. Sometimes being mature is not freedom. Sometimes being mature is having the wisdom to put some limits in your life. Sometimes being mature is actually having the wisdom to put some limits in your life. And again, your marriage is, too, is too, far too important. The third one, married people, is this. I want to encourage you to be painfully honest. Be painfully honest. I married my best friend. Jamie, from the time we started dating, we have always been best friends. And we have a, a 100% honest relationship with each other. There is nothing about me that Jamie doesn't know and vice versa. 100% honesty. Now, some of you, I know, maybe that wasn't the case. Maybe you didn't marry your best friend. Or maybe your spouse is not your, really even your best friend now. Maybe you've got somebody else you can fight in more than you, you do your spouse. I'm going to tell you, change that. Change that. Uh, make steps to make your spouse your best friend. It, that, that should be the best relationship in your life. Make steps to make that person your best friend. And part of having a best friend, you know, that best, your best friend is that person you can tell anything. You can tell anything, your deepest, darkest secret to, to and they're still going to love you. They might say some hard things to you because they love you, but they're, gonna, they're not going to abandon you. They're, they're, they're going to take what you have to give them. I, I can tell you, with no amount of pride or bragging or anything, nothing but pain, that um, your pastor, twice early on in my marriage, became attracted to somebody else at work. I didn't move on it. I didn't act on, on it. It was just in my head. I started developing a close friendship with somebody at work two times. And I went and told my wife. I sat Jamie down, and I told her who. I told her what the conversations had been. I told her everything. And I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it was extremely painful for her to hear. But she'll tell you today, the same way she told me, that she much preferred me coming to her and telling her that than for me to let it go and something possibly happen. This is what I'm saying, guys, ladies, too. You can't always control every bit of a situation. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes relationships start building that, that get a little scary. And I'm saying when it happens, deal with it. 
be painfully honest with each other. That marriage is far too crucial, far too critical, far too valuable for you not to be. Some of you, that level of honesty scares you. You think my wife would chop off my head. And so to to the people who uh, occasionally might have to receive that kind of information, I want to challenge you to be the kind of person who would receive it um, with a big, deep breath, who would receive it knowing that it took a lot of courage and a lot of love for your spouse to tell you what he or she has told you and uh, receive it prayerfully, receive it prayerfully. And know that occasionally for, for a relationship to go the long haul, you know, for a relationship to go 50, 60, 75, 80 years, you're going to hit some road bumps. You're going to hit some speed bumps that you kind of have to deal with in, along the road. And the way you deal with them is critical to how long that relationship lasts. But if you are building up a marriage that is built on lie after lie and deception after deception over and over and over again, then eventually it's going to come, to come back and bite you. It just is. You, I'm not telling you anything new. You guys have all seen it happen in other people's lives. It's going to come back and bite you. So you be committed that, no, failure is not an option. I'll do whatever it takes to keep honesty above board, to keep everything I can right where it needs to be. I'll do whatever it takes. Even when it hurts me, even when it potentially hurts them, I want to make sure, I want to make sure that we're in this till death do us part. All the way. Now, when you are um, confronted with impurity in your life, when somebody, when you're found out or when you... um, you know, somebody approaches you out of love about something impure about your life. Uh, there's three reactions. Usually the first reaction is defensiveness. Usually you get a little defensive, like, who do you think you are? And judge not, and all, you know, all this kind of stuff. And we get very defensive about, you know, the fact that somebody's approaching us about this. Now, you have a choice. You can stick, you can stick on defensiveness. You can stay right there and never move forward, and nothing ever fixes, and you keep living the lie and all that kind of stuff. Or you can move past it to usually the next step of, of that is remorse. Remorse. I feel genuinely sorry for what I've done. I know my actions have been wrong. I know this is the, not where I need to be. I hate that I hurt you. I hate that I hurt God. I, hate, I, I am remorseful about this situation. Again, you have a choice. You can stay on remorse, which is not a good place to stay. It, it, remorse is a life killer. It is not a good place to stay. Or you can move on to the third step, which is this, it's repentance. Repentance. Now, a lot of us have been told that repentance is when you get on your knees and have a big cry and tell God you're sorry. And that's not repentance. That's just emotion. Repentance, the definition of repentance is change. Change. I was going this direction, moving towards these things, and I turned around and put my back to those things, and now I'm going a whole new direction. It's change. It's not a prayer. It's an action. It's an action. And so when you move beyond remorse into repentance, that's when you start saying, yes, yes, I shouldn't have done this. Yes, I'm sorry I, I did this. Now, to prove that I'm sorry, to, 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 to move past this, I'm changing some things about my life. And that's where I want some of you to go today. I want you to get to a point to where you say, you know, it's time for a change. 
I've been screwing up my life long enough. I've been saying I'm sorry and crying when I get caught long enough. I need to actually change the pattern of my life. I need to actually put some safeguards in place. I need to actually change the way I communicate, increase my level of integrity, whatever it is. I need to make sure that I'm making healthy changes in my life that will then advance me spiritually, advance me relationally to the places that I want to go. Change. That's what we want. So right now, everybody just bow your heads. And I want, to, I want you to ask yourself this question. Nobody looking around. And just ask yourself right where you sit, God, is there anything right now that you need me to turn away from? Anything going on in my marriage? Any temptation? Any situation that I'm in? Is there anything that you need me to just turn away from? And allow the Holy Spirit to just speak to you about that. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for your word to us this morning. God, I wish embracing purity was simple, but it's not. It's intentional. It's sometimes difficult. It requires us often to put our egos aside. But God, we want to be a people who are committed to you, not just in words, but in our actions. God, we want to be um, husbands and wives that are committed to our spouses, not just in words, but in the way we actually live, the way we actually demonstrate love towards each other. So God, if there's anything that we need to repent of this morning, would you just allow your Holy Spirit to convict us of that, God? We love you. We want to follow you as closely as we possibly can. Thank you so much for not demanding that we be perfect, but also thank you so much that you don't give up on us and you you constantly seek to change us and make us more like yourself. God, we give you permission. We give you permission this morning to do the, just that. Speak hard things into our lives to shape us in hard ways. Because we believe that your way is the way that leads to life and our way too often leads to death. God, you're so good. And we love you. I want to lift up all the marriages in this room. And if there are painful things in, um, in any of them, God, um, if there is any impurity in any of them, God, I pray that you would help them maneuver through all of that. God, if there's anybody in this room, in fact, I know, I, I know, I know people well enough to know, I know there's at least one person right now in this room that is considering having an affair, that has been toying around with it in their mind, that has been flirting with it, God, I pray that you would speak to that person this morning and help them to confess it and help them to leave it behind, God, that they would see the destruction that lies ahead of them, God, that they would not embrace it but instead leave it behind. God, I pray that you would help them with that. God, you're good and we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.